Good morning, Tell Road Bible Chapel. It's good to be with you this morning. Up on the screen, you will see an image of a famous historical figure, one that maybe doesn't get talked about enough, or one, as was reported last week, has things incorrectly stated about her. Thank you, Kanye. That person, of course, is Harriet Tubman. Um, many of you know who she is already, but I'm just going to share some interesting facts about her. Some of them you know, uh, so bear with me. She was born in 1820 or 1821 as a slave in the state of Maryland. Her date of birth or year of birth is unsure because they kept poor records of slaves back then. Uh, when she was a child, she suffered severe head trauma when a slave overseer threw a metal weight at another slave who was trying to run away. Well, it missed that slave and it hit her in the head, leaving her with bouts of seizures, epilepsy, narcolepsy, and other brain trauma the rest of her life, mainly because she never received proper medical treatment and was forced to go back to work only after a few days of rest. In 1849, in the month of September, she escapes with her two brothers. However, for some odd reason, the brothers decide to return back, and she's forced to go back with them, so no one would raise suspicion because no one knew they had escaped anyway. A few months later, she escapes again, this time by herself, using the Underground Railroad to reach the city of Philadelphia. There was a bounty of about $300 out for her capture and return, and the cool thing is she knew to escape on a Saturday evening because it wouldn't get reported in the, in the papers until Monday because no papers were printed on Sunday. Uh, she would then repeatedly go back to help other slaves escape, mainly, mainly many of her family members. Uh, it is estimated she went back around 13 times and helped over 70 slaves escape to freedom before the Civil War. In 1850, she had a tougher task uh, ahead of her in helping slaves escape because the Fugitive Slave Act was passed by Congress. That's right, the federal government. Um, and now, instead of having slaves escape into the North to gain their freedom, they had to go all the way into Canada because the Fugitive Slave Act said that any runaway slave captured in any state, free states included, had to be returned to their master. So there was no safe place to escape to in the United States at that time. Uh, she would use homes of abolitionists to hide people at night. She would hide out in swamps, marshes, and forests during the day, knowing people really didn't look for you in those spots. She would also disguise herself to blend in or not be noticed, sometimes taking upon the form of a slave by carrying chickens or a hired servant by sweeping the yard in front of an abolitionist's house. She would also read a newspaper or pretend to read a newspaper because... People knew she was illiterate, so if they saw a free black person, quote-unquote, reading a newspaper, they wouldn't think it was her. And she said that she received visions from God that directed her to help other slaves escape or inspired her to help other slaves escape. She stated that her faith in God is what kept her going back and helped her and others keep moving and evading all the way up to Canada. She used spirituals or Negro spirituals not only to encourage herself and others, but also as coded messages on when to escape and where to meet. A truly interesting person. So interesting, she got the nickname Moses for leading so many to freedom. 
And during the Civil War, she served as a nurse for the Union Army, but more importantly, she served as a scout for the Army in South Carolina. In fact, the culmination of her scouting efforts led to her helping lead the raid at Combahee Ferry, which would eventually free up to 700 slaves. She, as you might say, is probably the best escape and evader that the United States has ever had. Um, you can maybe mention some more famous people like military folks, but she didn't have that type of training. She used what she knew about her surroundings and the local land to help her escape and evade and help others as well. So why do I bring her up? She has something in common with the man we have been studying and discussing the last few weeks. Just like Harriet, David had to do a lot of escape and evading. Now, his reasons were different uh, than hers, but they both had people looking for them. They both had people hunting them down, and they both had enemies on all sides. They also both didn't fully know who they could really trust, except for maybe a small network of friends um, and confidence. They had their own government working against them, and they not only had to consider themselves and how they were going to survive or escape and evade, but also others who were in their care. Uh, in Tubman's case, it was escaped slaves. In David's case, it was 600 men who were with him. Uh, they also both used their faith in God to confirm what they were doing and to help keep them going. We see this all play out uh, for David in 1 Samuel 23. We're not going to read the whole passage, but we're just going to hit some snippets of it. And we're going to look to see how his faith encourages him as he escapes and evades. And we're going to see how the Lord is truly a huge encouragement to him, even while it seems like Saul is pretty much breathing down his neck and about to capture him or about to get him at every turn. Um, so the first instance comes in 1 Samuel 23, 1 through 5, and it says this, Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kila and are robbing in the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kila. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kila against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Kila, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kila and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow so that David saved the inhabitants of Kila. We, we find David and his men at the beginning of this chapter hiding out. They've already started their, their escape and evading from Saul. Uh, and he, David receives a report that one of the cities in Judah, Kila, is being attacked by the Philistines. Now, you might say it's a no-brainer for David to go and rescue Kyla. It's his own people. Uh, and if he's going to be king one day, you know, this would be a good thing for him to do. It also shows that Saul, as king, was basically neglecting his duties in trying to hunt down David and not really being concerned with the rest of the country or even defending it from its most closest and hardened enemy, the Philistines. So here's David. He has a decision to make. And what does he do? He inquires of the Lord. Yes, these are different circumstances. Yes, he, he's really not fighting for Saul, but he is fighting for the Lord. He is fighting for Judah. He is fighting for the people. So he inquires of the Lord. And the Lord says, yeah, get up, go and attack them. 
Now, David was probably all ready to go, but as we see, his men are just a little hesitant. They're a small group. They're only 600. Now, yes, that, that's kind of big if you're like, a, according to a few people, according to a handful of people, but 600 people in comparison to maybe the whole Philistine army or the rest of the whole army of Judah is, is quite small. I mean, David's basically working with what we would call a modern-day battalion, something that's made up of about four companies if you go by the army standard. So he, he's only got a battalion, and, and now they're going up against this, this force that could be three, four, ten times the size of them. Uh, so his men are a little hesitant, and, and they're saying basically, hey, not only are we hunted here in Judah, uh, you know, uh, we have Saul to contend with coming after us and, and trying to capture us, but, but now we, we have to go up and contend with an enemy, our mortal enemy, who, who really hates us and is really looking to do us harm, especially after David, you whooped Goliath and, you know, sent them running in panic. So so might not be the best thing, David. Uh, but once again, <clears throat> David inquires of the Lord. And the Lord says, this time, a little bit different answer, that he will give them into their hand. So basically, the Lord is saying, go and fight and deliver Kyla because I have given them into your hand. That is great encouragement. Not only just go and attack them, but guess what? The battle's already won, guys. Go ahead. Go and rescue Kyla. And, and so we see, you know, as they go and, and they fight and they do deliver them, um, we see that David's faith right here off the bat, and this is the first point of what we see in this chapter, David's faith in the Lord is, is there in his decision-making. He, he knows he has to make many decisions pre-king and as king, uh, but he definitely inquires of the Lord. He definitely makes sure to include the Lord in his decision-making. He has realized that he, he can't make any of these decisions by himself. Uh, his men are in, real no, are in no real position to help him make these decisions. As we see, they're, they're pretty much going to say no at every turn uh, when it comes to dangerous endeavors like this. So he, he really knows that the Lord is his only source of counsel. Uh, so he asked the Lord to help with this difficult situation. The Lord says, go and attack. And, and when the men complain out of fear, David responds by asking again. And the Lord again gives an answer. But this time it's even more affirmative. Um, Deliver them into your hands. That's strong. Like, hey, the battle's already won. So, so David knew he had this hard choice to make. And it was a hard time to make it. We, we know a lot of times we get hard choices in our lives and they always seem to come up at the wrong time when we're already dealing with a hundred different things or life's just really treating us like dirt and got us down. And we, we get these decisions that we have to make and they seem overwhelming. Um, and, and that's where David finds himself. But, but David still inquires of the Lord. And, and, and we see that David knew he had this hard choice, but he knew he couldn't do it on his own. Uh, so he sought the Lord for guidance, and the Lord didn't let him down. And, and that's truly how our faith can be encouraged. When we come to the Lord, we know he's going to respond to us. We know he's going to give an answer. And, and that should that should encourage us to go to him all the more uh, with whatever we're facing, good or bad. And, and so we need to remember that, that in hard times, we're not alone in our decision-making. We are not the sole proprietor uh, of our decisions. We don't have to think about it, uh, think of a resolution, do it on our own. Um, we're not alone in this process. We can seek the Lord 
to help us just like David did to help him. And, and he will give us the insight and wisdom and then we go act on it. Like when the Lord gave David the answer, David did not hesitate. They, they went up and, and they went and, uh, and attacked the Philistines at Kila and, and they delivered them and they brought back all the livestock from the Philistines or all the livestock that the Philistines had, had stolen and, and returned it to the people. And, and they received a great victory because of their trust in the Lord and because they acted on that faith. They acted on the trust. They acted uh, on the Lord uh, and his answer. They didn't wait for some deeper meeting or for some more spiritual you know, understanding. They said, okay, this is what the Lord wants us to do. Let's go do it. And they did. And we, we saw what happened. You know, David confirms this a lot as he writes the Psalms, um, how he's thinking and how the Lord works and, and how the Lord responds to him and what it means to him. And we see in, in Psalm 27, 7 through 9, David writes this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. David realizes, you know, the Lord is the one who can help him, and he, and he calls him gracious, and, and he says, I, I'm seeking your face like you've, you've asked me to, Lord. Uh, my heart is seeking you, um, so don't hide your face from me. Uh, don't turn away in anger, uh, but Lord, you who have been my help, please help me now. Uh, don't forsake me. You are the God of my salvation. You are the God who helps me. And, and so we see this play out in David's life that David's faith in the Lord truly impacted uh, his decision-making truly had influence, truly took priority in the decisions he, he made. And we can learn that as well, you know, that the Lord should be included in our decision-making, both great and small, both good and bad, both easy and hard. Uh, we shouldn't exclude him, but but we need to remember that he is gracious and he will help us uh, because ultimately he is our salvation. Uh, the second instance we see of David's faith being encouraged as he is escaping and evading Saul is in 1 Samuel 23, verses 7 through 14. And Saul hears that David is in Kila, which is a fortified city. Uh, so Saul plans to go after David by besieging the city and capturing David. Uh, but David hears of this, and, and this is what he does in verses 10 through 13. It says this, David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kila to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kila surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kila surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kila, and they went wherever they could go. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Kila, he gave up the expedition. Um, so basically, after hearing what Saul is planning, we see David seeking the Lord again. And, and he asks the Lord, hey, Lord, what I'm hearing, is this true? Is Saul really coming down to Kila to get me? I mean, the man wouldn't come down to Kila to fight the Philistines, but he's obviously going to come down to try and capture me after I delivered the city from the Philistines. And the Lord says, yeah, he's coming down to capture you. Uh, that's his goal. And then David asks because, you know, he, he, he realizes he's amongst hopefully good people now that he's rescued them. And in a fortified city, he says, are, are the people of Kila going to give me up to Saul? 
And the Lord says, yeah. So basically, as we read this passage and as we think about it, David basically has nowhere to go. The people he just saved are going to be willing to turn him over to Saul without even asking questions. I'm sure if Saul got there in time and said, hey, turn David over, they would be like, here he is. Here he is. This is the man you're looking for, Saul. They didn't even think about what they, he had done for them. They had already basically said, okay, Saul's after this guy. So as long as we can survive and as long as we can stay ahead in the game, yeah, we'll turn him over. No problems. No questions asked. Here you go, Saul. And, and, and this is a fortified city, which should be a refuge to David. But because the people are going to be willing to give him over, uh, it's turned into a trap. It's gone from a, a stronghold to basically uh, a, a trap, uh, um, you know, a death trap, so to speak. Um, it's crumbling around him, maybe not physically, but it probably seems that way to him. So, so David and his men, they get up and leave before, before Saul can arrive, before Saul can get there. And, and we see here in, in this part, in this second instance, the second point of David's faith. Uh, his faith showed him that the Lord is his only trustworthy refuge and stronghold. Um, if he sought, or if he thought, sorry, if he thought for one moment that Kyla and its, its people would be a refuge and stronghold for him against Saul, he would have stayed. But he asked the Lord and found out it wasn't so. And based upon this immediate decision, based upon this interaction, based upon this inquiring of the Lord, um, he decides to take his men and in the old fashion, the old saying goes, make like a tree and leave. Um, and, and it shows us that the only true place of ref refuge, the only trustworthy place of refuge he had was the Lord in this moment. Yeah, he had his men, but we know that they were skittish. We know that they were hesitant. We know that they were a little fearful. But everybody who he could have trusted in that moment turned on him. Um, and, and we see that it is affirmed by the fact that when David does escape the city and, and Saul gets there and finds out that he does escape the city, he gives up and goes home. So, so we know this, that David's faith truly showed him that the Lord is his only trustworthy refuge and stronghold. And, and in difficult times for us, it, it might seem that everyone, everything is against us. Like no matter who we go to, they don't give good advice or, or they're trying to get something out of us. Um, it may seem like everything is against us or, or has turned on us or just not going our way. And, and we don't know who, what to trust. Kind of sounds familiar with what we're experiencing and going through right now with 2020, right? Who can't trust that. Um, but we need to remember that the Lord can. And by seeking him, we know he will lead us out of the danger into a place of refuge. That the Lord can be trusted. The Lord is trustworthy. The Lord is our refuge. The Lord is our stronghold. And he can lead us out of that danger. We just need to turn to him. David sought him. David saw saw the answers. He saw what the Lord was saying. And he said, okay, I get it. Lord, you're the only one I can trust. I can't listen to these people. I can't depend upon the stronghold that is this city. I need to leave. Um, and, and Lord, if you're telling me this is how it is, then I have to take your word for it. Why? Because you've helped me in my decision making. You delivered me out of circumstances before. And, and here I am in dire need of help. And, and, and you are right there for me. You're the only one who seems like he's right there for me. So, um, we can take comfort in that. We can take comfort in that, especially when we read the words that David wrote in, in Psalm 31, verses 1 through 4, which say this, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. 
Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. It's a beautiful psalm that goes with what David's experiencing. And you see that, that he is the rock of refuge, a strong fortress is the Lord to save David, as he writes there. Um, and also he says, you know, that you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. Basically, you, you pull me out of the place that's going to turn me over to Saul because you are truly my refuge. You are the one that I can truly trust. You are the one who will really help me. You are the one who is, is looking out for me um, and, and wants to do good to me. So we need to remember that, that even when everything seems to be against us, the the Lord is our refuge, is our stronghold, and we can trust him 100% of the time, just like David did, uh, even when those people who are even close to us um, uh, don't seem like they're helping or, or don't seem uh, like they uh, are looking out for our own good. The Lord always is. The Lord always is. He is our rock. He is our righteousness. He is the one who will deliver us. Um, he is our refuge. So the third and final instance we see of David's faith working out um, in escaping and evading Saul comes in 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 through 29. And here we see Saul is starting to turn up the effort of hunting down and capturing David. He turns up the heat, so to speak, as, as we like to use a lot of times in, in our modern day vernacular, uh, to find David. And, and so much so, he he's having people... Um, spy and scout out for him the land to see if they can find David. He's having his own people, uh, the Ziphites, the people of Ziph, uh, to scout out the wilderness to see if they can locate David. And when, and when they do, they're supposed to report to him, hey, we found David here. Come down and get him and, 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 and capture him. Uh, and the Lord uses this moment to boost David's faith and not be fearful. And he uses a friend. He uses Jonathan uh, to do that. And we see in verses 15 through 17 and, and 24 through 29, where it says this, how that all plays out. Uh, verse 15, it says, David saw, that, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. And skipping down to, to verse 24, the second half, it says this. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. So we see once again that Saul had really 
turned up uh, the heat, notched, took him to another level, um, uh, this hunt for David to capture him. And, and I'm sure that this shook David a little bit, you know, seeing that now Saul's really coming after him, really putting more effort into it, so to speak, maybe 110%, as we like to say in the sports world. Um, so I'm sure this shook him up, and especially his men who were probably already skittish, as we mentioned before. But what happens in the midst of all of this is, is something that's quite interesting. Jonathan, Saul's son, and yes, David's closest friend, we already know this, secretly visits, visits him to encourage him. And, and as verse 16 says, Jonathan tells him, hey, I, I've come to strengthen your hand, to strengthen David's hand in God. And basically he's saying, don't fear Saul. Don't fear him. He, he won't find you. He won't kill you. Um, you're going to be king over Israel, just like God said you would, just like you were anointed to be. You know, you know this. I know this. And even Saul knows this. It, it's the Lord's will. It's the Lord's plan. So you don't have to fear. The Lord is with you. And, and he's not going to let Saul catch you or kill you or whatever. You know, you're going to be king just like he wants you to be. So, so don't be afraid. Keep going. And we see that this does have a positive effect on David. Uh, we see that David keeps escaping and evading Saul. And just when Saul is getting close, like he's on one side of the mountain, David's on the other, and they're pretty much shadowing each other. You know, David making one move, Saul reacting to that, counteracting, all these things going on here. It doesn't really say, but you can read between the lines. Uh, the Philistines raid Israel, and Saul has to turn away from going after David and go deal with them. And do you think that's coincidence? Do you think that that happened by chance? I'm pretty sure it didn't. Based upon how we've seen the Lord working and interacting with David and the words that the Lord used to strengthen uh, David through Jonathan, uh, this is not a coincidence. I'm sure the Lord used the Philistines here to, to get Saul off of David's back, uh, to give David a breather, um, and, and to allow David to keep escaping and evading. And, and the third and final point that we want to make is that if the Lord is our trusted counselor in our decision-making, like we mentioned at the top, and, and, that, and if he is our trustworthy stronghold and refuge, then who or what is there to fear? right? If he's our counselor, if he's the one who's there helping us with our decisions, make the right decisions and, and giving us wise counsel, and if he's the one who's, who's watching over us and truly looks out for us and is our stronghold and our refuge, if he's the one who's for us and not against us, if he is with us, uh, if he is graciously, graciously giving us all things, then, then who or what is there to fear, right? If, if he is with us, if, if he's on our side, who is there to fear? It's better than nationwide being on your side. The Lord is on our side is better than any insurance company. Um, so who is there really to fear? Uh, that should give us the strength and encouragement then to keep moving just like David, even in our hard circumstances, knowing that the Lord is right there with us, knowing that he's there to help us. As Hebrews 4 tells us, you know, he is that help in the time of need. He's going to give us that help. All we have to do is come before his throne of grace, and he's willingly going to give it to us. It's truly a great reminder to us that the Lord is there with us. And if we put our faith and trust in him, then our fears can be quelled and we can keep moving. Yeah, they might not go away, but they can be stymied a bit. Um, the, the fear or the object there, or the, the issue still might be there, but we can get through it. We can keep going because we know the Lord is going to help us and, and ultimately deal with it. And, and we're going to be better for it. We're going to be encouraged through it. Uh it's something that I'm sure David felt uh, as we see the things play out 
uh, and in this chapter, but also in the following chapters as well, and, and how he spares Saul's life uh, numerous times. He takes great risks just to prove Saul, hey man, I could have killed you, but I didn't, because you're the Lord's anointed, and, and I still have respect for you, and I still love you, and I, I don't want this to keep going. Um, so we see that... that um, trustworthiness we see that strength and encouragement we see that fear being quelled coming out in these circumstances of david and, and all these things probably most likely uh led him to write the words that he writes in psalm 27 and psalm 31 uh, of which we already read and i just want to read uh some more from psalm 27 a, little, a few verses in the beginning and a few at the end here. And in verse 1, it says this of Psalm 27. And some of these, these words are very familiar to us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, I will be confident. And skipping down to the end in verse 13, it says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Great verses right there. And I encourage you to, to read Psalm 27 all the way through and to meditate on it, as well as Psalm 31. Great Psalms that go with the life of David, especially in these moments that we've been going through here in First Samuel. So, so in closing, um, when when times get hard and, and things seem to be going against us, may we be reminded of people like David and Harriet Tubman, people who use their faith to encourage them as they time and time again escaped and evaded treacherous circumstances or got through difficult circumstances, but also use that faith to encourage others to keep going, um, to keep moving, to get to that freedom, to, to experience that light, to experience the land of the living, so to speak, as David writes in Psalm 27. And in those moments, let us do our best to call to mind the fact that the Lord is our light, that he is our salvation, our refuge, our stronghold, our counselor, and that he's always with us, no matter what. He's always there with us. And so when we think of these things and we think of David's faith being encouraged in escaping and evading Saul and how the Lord worked through that in his decision making um, <clears throat> and being his stronghold and ultimately being his encouragement, um, may our hearts be encouraged as well and strengthened as well as we wait for the Lord. There's no no coincidence, once again, why that line, wait for the Lord, is mentioned twice in, in Psalm 27 and verse 14, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. We are to be waiting for the Lord, because He is our counselor, He is our stronghold, He is our refuge, He is our strength, and He's always there for us.